Everybody, I'm Bill Schaefer along with Mark Middleton, and I'm guessing you're kind of like us because every now and then we all need a kind of a shot in the arm, maybe a little nudge that reminds us that life is short and that we need to get up, get out, and live it while we have the chance. That attitude and this radio show are both called Growing Bolder. And over the next hour, you're going to hear some inspiring stories from incredible people who found a way to get off the couch and get into the lives of passion and purpose, the kinds of stories that will lead you to believe Yeah, you can do it, too. (laughs) On today's program, you will hear from the rock god of the bass guitar who played on hundreds of hits in the 60s and 70s and is a woman. Of course, we're not surprised by that because we know women rock, but it is an incredible story. You'll also meet a man in a race to develop a supercar before a terminal cancer diagnosis can stop him. Another man whose mom died saving his life, and he went on to become a champion runner. And one of the few people left who knows how to keep time ticking. Amazing people, amazing stories. It's time for Growing Bolder. You know, folks, baby boomers have the lowest rate of poverty of any age group, but they have the highest rate of anxiety about their finances, pensions, the stock market, Social Security, and Medicare. Sound financial advice is absolutely critical to these days. But, of course, the big question, where in the heck do you find it? Well, I'll tell you how we find it, Mark. We go straight to the most respected, most listened to personal finance expert anywhere. Times and Forbes named her one of the top 100 most influential people in the world. USA Today says she is a one-woman financial advice powerhouse. Business Week named her the world's top female motivational speaker. That is a string of superlatives, Mr. Schaefer. She has had nine straight New York Times bestsellers. She's won two Emmys and is the most successful fundraiser in the history of public television. You know who we're talking about. Let's say hello to Susie Orman. Hey, Susie, how are you? boys, and how are you? Uh, we're doing great. Thanks for your time. And let's get right with it, because I know you're busy. Merrill Lynch has conducted a study where people 50 and over were asked what they fear the most, and going broke got more votes than dying. And they fear going broke overwhelmingly due to the cost of health care. What can we do about that? Yeah, well, you know, here's the thing, is that when you're 50, you're closer to 60, <laughs> And when you're 60, obviously, you're closer to 70. And as you start to do, I call it the decades of dollars, which during those decades, you start to become afraid because you know very shortly here, you're not going to be able to earn the money to pay your bills. So when you have a bill such as health care increasing and increasing and you see your potential of earning money decreasing and decreasing and nowhere to invest it to give you a good, you know, guaranteed return, that's why anxiety goes up. And what's so sad is when anxiety goes up, so do your health care costs because that's when you start to use doctors. So you have got to start today to plan for your tomorrows. It's not just tackling the health care cost. It's tackling do you have a sound retirement plan in place to make sure that you have the money to live the lifestyle you so deserve to live. Man, Susie, in order to do that, though, you got to have a conversation about it. You have to bring it up. And people 50 plus don't want to have that conversation. And therefore, they have nobody to blame but themselves if they don't have the money that they need for their tomorrows. You know, the key ingredient in any financial freedom recipe is time. The time for your money to compound, which means you invest money, it makes money, the money it makes gets to make money, and your money grows. When you're already 50, you have very little time in terms of compounding left in your life. So this is the time you need to have the most serious conversation you have ever had before when it comes to your money. So so how do you have that conversation? Like people will say to you, well, you know, go see a financial planner as if there's people like you, which there aren't out there doing a public service. Many people don't trust financial planners because of the commissions and they're just salesmen. So how do you find the right person to ask? Here's what I would tell you all to do if you want to find the absolute best financial advisor in the world look in the mirror 
because nobody is going to care about your money more than you do. And what happens to your money isn't going to affect my life. It's not going to affect the two of your life. It's going to affect the person's life whose money it is. And money is not as hard as Wall Street would love for you to think that it is. Money is really very simple. So let's just get to it. If you're out there right now, you have postponed savings, you don't have a lot of savings, but you have bills. The key to a good retirement is to decrease any bill that you possibly can. Because if you don't have expenses, then you don't need as much money to generate income to pay those expenses. Your greatest expense is what? If you happen to own a home, it's your mortgage payment. So I would tell you, if you want to make one incredible move for yourself, once you own a home and you know you're going to stay in that home for the rest of your life, make sure you have paid down the mortgage on that home before you retire. Folks, we're getting some timely advice from Susie Orman, who is uh, one of the world's top motivational speakers, primarily because she's one of the world's top financial planners. And, and Susie, we say on this program all the time that it is never too late. Uh, does that hold true with, with, with savings, with getting ourselves ready for retirement? Do we reach a point when it's too late? Yeah, we do. I'm so sorry to say that, you know, for years I used to get up on that stage and I used to say it's never too soon to begin and it's never too late to start until we would have guests on my show that were 80, 85, 90 years of age. They no longer were able to work. They had just lost their spouse. Therefore, they lost one Social Security check. In many cases, they lost a pension and there was nothing I could do for them. So there does come a time when it is too late, but it's not when you're 50. It's not when you're 60. It's when you're 80, 85, 90. Now we're talking too late. So if, again, you're out there and you are in your 50s, if you're in your early 60s, there is still plenty of time to turn your situation around. You know, and we think it's so complicated and, and so difficult, and you have succeeded because you keep it simple, non-intimidating by breaking financial planning into three steps. Tell us about your financial roadmap. Yeah, you know, here's the thing. Why don't we have the money that we need in our lives? Simply because we don't, we, you know, we spend too much. We spend money we don't have to impress people we don't even know or like. We have more things in our household than we do money in our bank account. So here are three steps that I promise you, if you took these three steps, you would see everything in your life, financially speaking, turn around. From this day forward, you need to live below your means but within your needs. What do I mean by that? So many of you, you bring home $5,000 a month and you spend all $5,000. You have the money to buy a new car every three years because you have the money there. No, 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 no. You have to live below your means but within your needs. So if you need a new car, all right, but not just because you want one. So how do you do that? You do that from this day forward only by needs, not wants. You, you know, need to buy food at a grocery store. You want to buy food at a restaurant. You need to put gas in your car to get yourself to work. You want to put gas in your car to go on a vacation. If you only spend money on needs versus wants, then what happens is you naturally live within your needs and below your means. Now, if you do all of that, the last thing is to get as much pleasure out of saving as you do spending. Why can't you be thrilled that you just put $100 in your savings account, that same thrill type of feeling that if you took that $100 and bought a sweater that was on sale that you never used? Why can't you just love saving money as you do spending it? If you just did that, your life would really turn around. You know, it's brilliant, Susie, and if I may, with all due respect, I'm going to take the liberty of adding a fourth to that, if I may. I think we can all agree that the one investment that everybody can make is to get themselves in better physical condition, because if you don't have enough money to pay for your health care, at least you might be able to reduce the cost of your health care moving forward. Yeah. You know, it's, it's so funny because, as you may or may not know, the Susie Orman Show is coming to an end on March 28th, and I've decided... I want to take a year off to, to, you know, to simply devote it to my health 
you know, I want to get healthy. I'm about to be 64 here. I want to be healthy. I want to lose weight. All the money in the world isn't going to help any of us, including the great Susie Orman, (laughs) if she is not healthy. So I've decided to put myself first and dedicate at least the next year to walking, to exercising, to taking time to prepare a meal, to do the things that keep oneself healthy. Spoken like a financial planner, you're investing in your health. That's right. And so I've seen it so many times. I've seen some of the wealthiest people in the world who end up getting sick because all they ever did was work. And like I said, all the money in the world sometimes can't save you when it comes to your health. So your health is even more important than your wealth. But it's sure good to have money when your health goes. You know, Susie, you can hear the passion in your voice. We all know people who do something because they're good at it, because they're well compensated for it. Uh, and, And I'm certain both cases are true for you. But you absolutely love helping people. And we're so grateful for what you do. We got 30 seconds left. Give us a takeaway, if you will. Give us a, it doesn't have to be about financial planning unless you want it to do. What, what's the moral of your story? The, you know, the moral of the story is that you have to do what's right versus what's easy. The moral story is you have to look within to see really why you are doing without. And the last moral of the story is you can never fix a financial problem with money. Wow. com. S-U-Z-E-O-R-M-A-N. I'm telling you, she is as good as it gets. Mark, doesn't she make you feel like you can just get up and handle anything after talking to her? Yeah, you know, I just love listening to her. I think she could talk about anything and it would be inspiring. She's got the combination of passion and a desire to help make a difference. And folks, if we all had that, just think of where we could be. Our thanks to Susie Orman. Good luck next year and putting that health back together and can't wait until you get back out at it again. Up next, a man who keeps time ticking, why he's hoping people will care before time runs out. This is Growing Boulder. Support for Growing Boulder provided by... Our partners at Florida Blue Medicare, providing the guidance you need to stay informed and stay connected through COVID-19. Now offering tips, ideas, and critical resources at growingbolder.com slash COVID. Check out Growing Boulder TV, airing on public television stations nationwide. Visit growingbolder.com slash TV for program listings and where to watch. This is Growing Boulder Radio with Mark and Bill, and we were thinking back, Mark, to a time where most people made a living using their hands. You know, they did it by touching and creating and growing and building, and things are really different these days, and those skills in many cases are vanishing, if not becoming very rare. Yeah, true craftsmen, and it's why people who do find their way into the field of restoration and repair usually find themselves overwhelmed with work. It's because more of us want to hold on to the pieces of our past. We're talking about old radios, televisions, even bicycles can become sentimental keepsakes. But nothing turns back time quite like the clocks of yesterday. Unfortunately, not many these days know how to keep them running. Here's one guy who does. Tom Bransford likes to hang out with some very old friends. Some that date back to 1753. This is original now. Original everything. Tom is one of the last of a vanishing trade, a qualified clock repairman, craftsman who repair and restore instruments that have survived the generations. Tom sits in his garage workshop for hours every day, passing the time by preserving it. Alone, yet surrounded by a symphony of clicks, tocks, and ticks. It's a skill he developed later in life, all because he took a course in clock repair. The old man that was teaching it then was 75 years old, and he told me he was going to retire. And he said, you're going to take over. I said, no, I'm not going to take over. He said, yes, you are. He said, you're the only one I got that can take it over. 75, that's pretty old, isn't it? Yeah, (laughs) it's a youngster now. (laughs) How old are you? 78. 
And look at you, you're busier than you ever were. That's right, one, I was gonna do one a day. And, you're, and how many do you do? Six or seven. A day. A day, and going backwards. Two reasons, one, because you love it, mm -hmm. and two, because there's there nobody a, else to do it. There's nobody else but you to do it. Yeah. Now that's that's very sad. Yeah, it is very sad. Huh? And uh, the people now, most of the people now that are repairing them are not repairmen. They just put a little oil on it. They got a little knowledge, read a book or something of that nature. And uh, all these books over here are all research books. So there's a difference between somebody who tinkers and somebody who really knows how to repair clocks. That's right. What do these clocks mean to you? What do you see when you look at these well, clocks? Well, I see, when I see one that somebody's butchered, that really upsets me. Uh, and that means that I've got twice as much work to do, and uh, I know that uh, I can't charge the person that has been already paid a couple hundred dollars to have it fixed and it's screwed up. So I just fix it and give it back to them and tell them and show them what I did to it. And uh, that is the word of mouth that has got me in this, this predicament. <laughs> Why preserve them, Tom? Why is that important well, to you? Well, they're not making anymore. Everything's battery operated now. Or, and, Isn't uh, that better? Yeah. Now, you take this clock right here, looks good, but it's got a $14 battery in it, and the guy probably paid $300 for it. And all it takes is one, one C battery. Sounds good. Yeah, but uh, the movement will last about two years, and you throw it away, and, and then you can't find another movement to fit it. That's the reason all this battery stuff's been, it's a throwaway. It's like everything else now been built as throwaway. These are art. Yeah, it's a lost craft art. It's part of our past, it's part of our history. Yeah. And these old timepieces are symbols of an era where you made something to last. Yeah, yeah everything here, you know, it's just like this old clock here, you know. There's nothing in it, nobody's ever done anything to it, I'm just all it and all. And it's just still running, and you know, it's made in the 1800s. It's beautiful. And you can see all this, see that old wow. cast iron weight there? The old cast pendulum and pulley, all handcrafted, everything on it. That means they have a lot of life left in them. Tom believes he does too. You see, a good ticker runs in his family. My older sister died at 93. My brother, oldest brother, just died. He was 95. And I had my middle sister died. It's like one day of being 90. And there's three of us left. So what you're telling me is there are a lot more clocks left for you to repair before you <laughs> yeah. go anywhere. Yeah, all of them, are, you know, all of them are dying in their 90s, so I'm going to have to work a long time. <laughs> what happened to the word retirement? That's right, I'd like to know. <laughs> Tell me the truth, wouldn't you rather be relaxing on a beach in the Bahamas than in this little workshop? Hell no. I enjoy this. These clocks are your friends. Yep, that's right. And you're one of the last friends they have. <laughs> you're the clock doctor. <laughs> Keeping them alive for another generation. Yeah. Tom, thank you so much for yeah. the work that hey, you do. What a cool guy that Tom Bransford is, and he's what seems to be part of a dying breed, people with the knowledge and, just as important, the time to work on the many, many timepieces that people send to him from all over the country. Boy, all you have to do is watch television to realize there is an awful lot of time, effort, and money spent in this country by people who are trying to look younger than they actually are. You know, that's great, but don't forget to consider some of the things that may have caused you to look older in the first place. And one of the worst offenders of all, Bill, is stress. Oh, stress. I hate I get stressed out thinking about stress. You know, it's not a disease, but it can do just as much damage. The problem is we all deal with it, but the key is finding ways to keep it at a minimum. And for that, we turn 
turn things over to a true expert in the field. Hello, I'm Dr. Roger Landry, and I'm a preventive medicine physician focusing on successful aging. I'm also the author of Live Long, Die Short, a guide to authentic health and successful aging. You know all that stress that you're dealing with right now in your life? Seems like there's always stress. You know what? It's almost all self-induced. That's right. Unless there's a car bearing down on you that's going to hit you or there's a, a, a tiger chasing you, the stress that we feel is self-induced. Yes, we have life situations, but there's only three things we can do when we're faced with one of life's problems. We can either fix it or make a plan to fix it. And if we can't do that, we should walk away or accept it. All else is madness. And that stress that you generate in yourself as you, as you deal with these problems, it's like flooring the gas on a car and stepping on the brake. It's just ripping you up. It's a toxic environment. Don't let that happen. Find something that quiets your mind. A nature walk, reading a book, music, art, whatever. Find it. You need it. Break that stress. Some great words of wisdom from Growing Boulder contributor Dr. Roger Landry. Up next, at the age of six, he nearly burned to death. How he overcame his injuries and his grief to become a world champion. This is Growing Boulder. Support for Growing Boulder provided by... The Center for Health and Well-Being, now open in Winter Park. Wholeness, fitness, and medicine together in one convenient location, offering programs and services to promote healthy living and positive aging. More at yourhealthandwellbeing.org. Sign up for the Growing Boulder Insider Newsletter, delivered to your inbox every week. Be the first to see our latest interviews, stories, and tips for making each day count. Sign up today at growingbolder.com. This is Growing Bolder with Mark and Bill. Our next guest, I think it's best to start out by saying, has led a, a, a great life. But from the way it started, you never would have believed that that could have been possible. Because at the age of six, Jerry went to the circus with his mom, and he would never see her alive again. Yeah, this sounds like a horrific Hollywood movie, folks, but this actually happened. Fire broke out under the big top, and that triggered widespread panic. Within 10 minutes, the entire thing went up in flames. Over 700 were injured. 168 lost their lives. He survived under a pile of bodies, including his mother's, who shielded him from the flames. He barely got by. So how do you go through something so devastating and then turn your life around? We are about to find out as we talk to Jerry Lavasser. Hey, Jerry, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Uh, you know, I, I'm just amazed at this story. The fire occurred back in 1944. How often does that still go through your mind today? Well, over the years, I've followed it out of interest, and uh, there's a book out uh, with my story in it. And this last year was the 70th anniversary, so we went down to the site and uh, was interviewed by the television there and... and uh, you know, so once in a while, I'll, I'll follow up on it. And, Jerry, they, they didn't think you were going to make it either. All of your fingertips were, were burned off. You had severe burns on your head and your arms. You spent something like six months in the hospital, and, and there you were. I mean, your mom was gone forever, and, and I'm sure you must have been worried that your life was ruined as well. Well, the, when I was in the hospital, and it's funny how you remember things, as you said, on the 6th, I was in an oxygen tent, and I remember somebody saying, what is, well, I'm, you know, what is his name? I, we don't think he's going to make it. And I said, oh, yes, I am. And boy, have you. And, of course, we wouldn't just be telling you this story, folks, as interesting as it is, unless there's another side to this. Uh, when you got to school, the kids made fun of your burned hands. You wore hats to cover your scars. Everybody assumed you couldn't do anything. But, boy, did you prove them wrong. How did you do that? Well, you know, it's a determination. I've always been very athletic. And... Um, I wanted to be no different than anybody else. So nobody could tell me I couldn't do it, and I proved that I could. And what I did in, in, in softball and baseball, wore the glove on my right hand, took it off, and, throw, and threw it. And, uh, you know, I got pretty good at it. Jerry, what made you even think that you were going to try to do athletics? I mean, you would almost have assumed that, you know, you'd read books or something like that, but something physical? Well, I think 
you know you you live with a uh, you through get through the, uh, any diversity like that, and you just do the do what you have to do, and uh, you go on with your life. You don't sit back and say, "Well, I can't do this," or somebody tells you you can't do it. Uh, along the way, you get help. Uh, people help me along the way, and uh, you have you do what you have to do. And you weren't just good at, at sports. You got to be very, very good. You stuck with it. Uh, you've lived a full life. Uh, you became an accountant. You've been married for 55 years or so. You got four kids and three grandkids. Now in your mid-70s, you're a senior champion. You've competed in national and world events. I mean, you've done it all. Uh, what are your best events in sports, and what does it do for you to compete? I think my, my best events are the triple jump and the steeplechase. And the um, reason I do it is just at this point is to stay fit and I think be an inspiration for other people. I'm a volunteer coach at Bowdoin College, and the kids there kind of tell me, well, we hope we can do what you're doing at, at, uh, when we get to your age. And it makes you feel good, so working with them. But one thing on the side there, when I got there 10 years ago, uh, the coach Savinsky um, knew about my situation, and there was a video on the History Channel, and he said, "I want you to show that to uh, the track athletes and tell your story." And I said, "Well, I'll do it, as only if it's going to come across as as a motivational." Well, it did, and I just did it this past January last month, and again, um, I got quite a uh, standing ovation after my story, and 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 along with it, you know, incense people to. Uh, you know, not to sit back to do what they have to do to get over any any situation they have. We all go through, you know, situations that uh, um, you know are difficult in our lives, and it's a matter of approaching it and and doing something about it. You know, you would think young people would rather hear stories from other young people, but seeing somebody, you know, the intergenerational thing is so powerful. It mentoring probably does as much for you as it does for them. It does, and, and I think working with young people incents me to keep going, too, and uh, I just love it. You know, Jerry, other than overcoming, uh, you know, the hardship that you face, the, you know, the, the physical trauma, the psychological trauma, to an extent we all face increasing hardships as we get older because we lose the ability to do so many things, and, and that results in, in many people just not trying anymore. They don't get out and take chances. They don't try to better themselves. What do you say to people over a certain age that think that life is not worth living? Why well, I say, you know, especially in runners, I run across very good runners that uh, gave it up because they weren't running as fast anymore. And I say, you have to look at why you're doing this. And you're doing it for fitness, for a better lifestyle, for feeling better, camaraderie, and uh, just the enjoyment. It's fun. And uh, once they get you know out of their minds that, hey, I'm going to be slower. I can't do what I used to do, but I can still do it. And, and uh, it's very rewarding. And they say, wow. You know, I've gotten people into the senior games uh, this way, and uh, they just love it. So, Jerry, you've seen, man, you've seen every aspect of life possible from, from the worst to the best. What words of wisdom, what philosophy, what, what takeaway or life lesson can you pass along to us from what you've learned through those experiences? I think that um, just keep doing. Um, don't let something... You know, stop you from doing what you've always done or uh, should be able to do and find a way to do it and uh, have fun. The main thing is enjoying your life, staying fit, being healthy, and, uh, and you know, enjoying other people's company. And, Jerry, how old are you today and how are you doing? I'm 77, and I'm doing about now, and I have a snowshoe race this Sunday, so I'm about to go out and do a little practice. A snowshoe race coming up, yeah. huh? How many other 77-year-olds are going to be out there doing that? Well, there's, I'm the oldest, <laughs> but there are two other 70-year-olds, and uh, we have a lot of fun. Well, that's great, Jerry. You know, your story, is, as, as Mark said, you know, it's about living your life. It's about realizing that, that life is worth it, that life is to be lived, and, and uh, you're just a great example of that, and there's nothing that would have stopped you from that. The physical scars, the mental scars, the, yeah, they happened, and yeah, you had to deal with them, but you found a way to move on and then pay it back to others 
by mentoring young people coming up behind you. We want to thank you for being such an inspiration and for sharing your story, your victories, Jerry, and your passion for life. Keep it up. That's Mr. Jerry Lavasser. Up next, he's in a race against a terminal cancer diagnosis to mass-produce one of the coolest cars ever built. This is Growing Boulder. Support for Growing Boulder provided by... Winter Park's new Crosby Wellness Center at the Center for Health and Well-Being. More than just a gym, it features unique medically integrated programs, activities for all ages and skill levels, and free group exercise classes with memberships. More at CrosbyWellnessCenter.org. Stay connected to Growing Boulder for daily doses of hope, inspiration, and possibility. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for our latest stories and motivational pictures. My guard stood hard when abstract threats to noble, to neglect. Mark and Bill here on Growing Boulder, and our next guest is a guy of many interests and skills, a man of the world. He was born in the U.K., raised in Scotland, but is a New Zealander, a Kiwi through and through. And talk about talent. This guy's been an engineer for Rolls-Royce. He also designed water systems for neighborhoods, and he helped create and build an unbelievable racing yacht. Nothing like a guy with passion. Yep. But now, for the last number of years, he has poured his heart and his soul into not just helping develop a supercar, but actually trying to get it into production as well. It's called the Holm, named after the famous driver, Denny Holm. It's one of the coolest cars, folks, you have ever seen. Now, this sounds like a great story, but there's a twist to this that we definitely need to bring up, too, because along the way, he's been diagnosed with cancer. So let's find out this incredible story. We're thrilled to welcome Mr. Jock Fremantle. How are you, Jock? I'm very good, thank you. Still, still you know, uh, on top of the ground. <laughs> hey, hey, listen, where are you today and what's going on? I'm in Auckland. I'm just um, actually heading off to work. I still work full-time as well, and I've got what, two more days to go before I, I throw the bucket in and retire on Friday, so it's a pretty exciting two days. Wow, Auckland, New Zealand. I sure hope we, we didn't call you collect. <laughs> I don't think you did. <laughs> That's all right. Well, congratulations. Did you say that you're going to retire? Well, as you know, I've got cancer, and it's uh, come back a bit, unfortunately, and uh, they've given me a, a, not a lot, a lot of life left, so I decided I should spend some – A, do two things. One is uh, spend time with my grandson and my daughter and my son-in-law and uh, live as far away from me as you can get in New Zealand. It's like moving from Florida to Seattle. They're not quite, but I mean, as far as that, you know, it's, it's, it's way down the south of New Zealand. And um, I'm going to spend, a bit, spend about, the, about the next six months to getting the car all finalized so we can go to production. Yeah. yeah. You know what? I don't think anybody would blame you, Jock, if you decided just to hang out with your family and, you know, and continue to battle. But I guess that speaks to the depth of this passion that you have for this car. Uh, how special is it to you? Well, it, 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 it's an interesting story because people keep asking me, you know, have you always wanted to build a supercar? And the honest answer is no. Never even dreamed about it. You know, never. I've always been involved in motor racing. I've always been involved in cars. But in 2002, I think it was, early, I, got, uh, I was at a univer- meeting in the, one of our top universities. And I was complaining to the guy who, about spending taxpayers' money teaching kids to design cars when there was no car industry in New Zealand. And he turned around and challenged me. He said, well, you know, you're an entrepreneur. You've been involved in this, this, and that. Do something about it. And that's how it started. Yeah. So there, this is a supercar, and a lot of us here aren't really familiar with what that means or what makes this car so special. Well, if you go to our website and see pictures of it, that would be the first thing you'll notice. It's radically looking. It's different. Uh, basically, uh, American market is, is, is a, probably predominantly American, and I understand that. But uh, the world market is uh, like Pagani, Zonda in Italy, and the Koenigsegg in Sweden. These are and obviously the McLaren, the McLaren P1. These are, these are cars that have been designed... For, for drivers, for, 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 for people that obviously can afford to buy something that's unique and different and, and bespoke. Um, but the main thing is that it, 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 it's been developed to honor Denny Helm, who was a Formula One world champion and Can-Am champion in America. Uh, and so it's a driver's car. It's a, it's a car designed for the real driver. It's got no aids, no ABS, no electronics. Obviously, it wouldn't be legal in America because you're safety conscious. I understand that. But it's a driver's car. And it's a, like a Formula One car. Like a, like a, a indie, indie car, but with two seats. 
It is a it is a sexy car, Jacques. I've seen photos <laughs> and video of it, and and man, does it look really, really good. You, you know, talk to us a little bit about your battle with cancer, and uh, you, you're 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 so energetic, you're so passionate, you're so positive, and well, you know, cancer's. I'm a Christian, and I pray, and I, you know, and I'm in God's hands. Sorry. No, no, t- take some time. We understand that this is a uh, a difficult time for you, but we're, we're so, we, we admire you so well, much you the know, way you fight. Cancer's a bloody awful thing, sorry my expression, uh, because no one knows, no one can tell you, it's, it's like, you know, you cut your finger, and they're going to say, well, you know, you know, in a week it's going to be cured, you know, because that's what happens. But with cancer, they can't tell you, they don't know. And so they'll guess. I don't mean that in the wrong way. I'm seeing the oncologist today, and I'm seeing, you know, yeah, it's an interesting thing. It's a, you just got to, you just got to be, you just got to be positive and 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 um, you know, enjoy the life you've got. Talking with a uh, Jacques Fremantle, who's developed this incredible car that he's trying to get to market. You know, Jacques, what what attracted us to you even more than the car, was your attitude in the face of this. Because on Growing Bolder, we we talk to people all the time who are facing obstacles and who go about finding ways to overcome them or to look past them. And and you're such a powerful, bright light. You know, we were hoping to mine some of that that energy and and strength and courage that you have. Where does that come from? Well, it comes from, I I suppose, three sources, to be honest. Uh, One is my faith. The, 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 probably the, the second one's my wife. I've got a fantastic wife. I've married 49 years, and she's a, she's been an amazing supporter. You know, uh, her a single word is "get over it." You know, <laughs> you can't you can't worry about it. So don't, worrying won't make it better. So don't worry. And and and, and the third one is uh, I've always been a person that you know woke up in the morning and said, "Wow, great day!" You know, enjoy it. And that's that's really what you've got to do. You've got to you've got to you you've got to wake up looking forward to the day. We've talked to so many people, Jacques, that, that are battling cancer who somehow, you know, are able to do what we all know we should do but, but can't figure out how to do it, and that is cherish every moment. That is, you know, live in the moment. Has that been your story? Has that been how Absolutely. you've reacted to it? You've got, you've got to enjoy today. You've got to, you've got to, you, you, you can't do anything about yesterday. It's gone. Tomorrow's a promise, you know, it's, it's the future, you know, and okay, you, you, can, you, know, you can look forward to the promise, you can look forward to the future, I mean, that's exciting, part of it, but the most important thing is to wake up and enjoy today. Jack, what kind of, a, what kind of cancer do you have, and, and what have they told I, I, you? I've got, I had bowel cancer, I had a major operation in May 2013, it was all sudden, just happened, bang, I just, one, one minute I was feeling, you know, 100%, I think, so the next minute I was locked up, couldn't go to the toilet, and intense pain, and they found that I had a major blockage in my cancer, and the, oh, I mean, I, everything, I hate, okay, I hate talking about myself, but I mean, but basically, I, I, I was I was in the right place at the right time, I, 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 I ended up at the top hospital here in Auckland on a Wednesday, and, um, you know, Friday morning, they operated, you know, and it, was, uh, yeah, it all happened quickly. And uh, luck, fortunately, I'm gonna say, I was going to say luckily, I don't think it is, I had skillful, very skillful surgeons, and obviously uh, I was blessed, and uh, my poo bag, I didn't need a poo bag, it all went the normal way, you know, I was in there for quite a while, obviously six, six weeks, and then, then I had another, then they found some more uh, stuff on my liver, so and three months later I had another big chunk of my liver taken out, and uh, when they took it out they found that the, what they thought was cancer in the liver was dead cells, so something had happened to those, and the uh, and then, of course, did my chemo, which I'm not a chemo fan, but I did chemo for six months and uh, didn't knock me around too much. I've been, on a, I've been on a nutritional product range for a number of years, and that seemed to help me overcome the chemo. Um, and, and, and the attitude, I mean, you talk about attitude. When I went to the chemo, you, you know, I, I don't know if you know anybody or have been to a place where, where you've got 15 people sitting there having their buddy, you know, stuff pumped into them. You know, half the people are miserable. And... Uh, I used to go in there and say, oh, have a great day. It's good, you know, the doctors. <laughs> yeah, of course, a bit of a stir, but it was good. 
And, and you know, there's no question, Jacques, we've had doctors, we've had life, we've had longevity experts on this program say attitude does make a difference. It's not the cure-all, but it can be the difference in getting over the hump. And that's why we wanted folks to bring you this interview with Jacques Fremantle, one, for all the great accomplishments he's, he's going under with, with this incredible car he's trying to bring to the market, but also because of his spirit, his drive, and his energy. He's an example of finding a way to live your life to the fullest from the very beginning to the very end. We're proud to have him on the program and hope you enjoyed the interview. We want to wish all the best all the way from Auckland, New Zealand, uh, to the very inspiring Jacques Fremantle. Up next, she's the first lady of the base. Meet the woman who gave hundreds of classic hits the beat that we all groove to. This is Growing Bolder. Subscribe to Growing Boulder magazine, now with more information, articles, and photos than ever before. This quarterly publication is unlike any other, filled with the kind of inspiration you need to live your life to the fullest. More information at growingbolder.com slash subscribe. Miss an episode of Growing Boulder Radio? Subscribe to our podcast and get it on your mobile device. Details at growingbolder.com slash podcasts. You are listening to Growing Bolder. I'm Bill Schaefer with Mark Middleton and Joe Cocker. And what a great song that is. Of course, it's great because of the late, great legend himself. But listen for a second. Do you hear, do you hear, that, do you hear that bass beat? Man, that groove is a mile wide. Do you know who played that groove? Well, we're about to meet her, and we can't wait because we are in awe. She is nothing, nothing short of legendary. Yeah, and, and this song really is just the beginning because she has played on hits for some of the greatest performers ever. We're talking superstars like Ray Charles, Sinatra, Streisand, Sam Cooke, The Supreme, Sonny and Cher, Lou Rawls, Glenn Campbell, The Beach Boys. You get the idea, folks? We could go on and on. She is proof that just like the song says, it is indeed all about the bass. Here is the first lady of bass, Carol Kay. Hey, Carol, how are you? Hey there. Hi. Hi. Oh, I'm getting over this, this darn flu out here, you know, on the West Coast. Hi. Nice to talk to you both. Thank well, you. Well, we're thrilled to have you. Let's go back a, a couple of decades oh, at least, if it's okay. Yeah. You started your professional career as a guitar player, and as far as doing sessions, right. you were in big demand. So what led you to the bass? Well, you know something? Some 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 date, I think it was about my, my fifth year, so somebody didn't show up on, on bass, and then they asked me to play it because I was playing the bass guitar a lot, and they seemed to like me. And you know what? I, I just heard bass in a different way. I thought that it could be be uh, more than the boom de boom type of stuff, although I did my, my share of that stuff, too, but it's the groove that is so important to get, you know, and, and, and in jazz, you kind of know what, what to play, and so it was kind of easy for me. And, and you know, Carol, you had to know, I can't believe you gave up the guitar for the bass, because that, you know that old joke where they ask a guy in the band who says, well, we've got, <laughs> we, we've got four musicians and a bass player. Yeah. <laughs> isn't the bass, isn't it kind of the Rodney Dangerfield of instruments? It don't get no respect. You know, you'd, you'd think, because uh, in in jazz, though, you always knew how important bass was, even though I went beam, bam, boom, beam, bam, boom, 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 you know, just did that. But in rock and roll, especially in the pop and the soul music, you had to have that, that bass floating around because it, it puts a framework on there. And as soon as I got on bass, I said, oh, this is fun. <laughs> not not only fun, but I didn't have to carry in six or seven different guitars, you know. <laughs> and then you just had to carry in one instrument and four strings. How, how hard is that, you know? <laughs> but but with the main thing was that you, you're putting a foundation there. Of, of, it, it's you and the drummer together. And you, you, you speak about the feeling all right. I mean, that was Paul Humphrey on drums. And he was one of my favorites to ever play with in the studios. He's a jazz drummer too, see. So, so, so we just kind of like married there, there on that part, and it was so much fun to play with him, you know. And it's so much fun to listen to. And Carol, just listening to you, you can see the passion that you still have for the work that you've done for decades. Well, 
You know, music makes you young. I, I, I mean, I, I'm going on 80, and yet I'm, I still love to teach the bebop jazz, and I love to teach the soul stuff and all that, because the, the, these kids need to learn. And it's not just kids. I mean, the, the older guys need to learn it, too, more. So it, it's just important to, to kind of pass along what, what, what was passed along to you in the way of music, because you, you, you do get your experience on the stage there. Um, I mean, you learn the chordal notes, and then you kind of know how to play, but the minute you get on stage, you play or you get out. And I'm, I mean, it's that simple, <laughs> you know. So, I mean, so p- people say, well, because you're a woman, must have been hard. I said, not back then. Uh-uh. It's hard today because some of the men can't think that women can play because the music is kind of like dumbed down. But anyway, let me let me get, I mean, get off the the preacher thing. <laughs> oh, the preacher the preacher thing's great, Carol, and it and really it's what you've done lately. Can you imagine? Here's Carol Kay, Mark. She's like eighty years old, and all these young musicians make a pilgrimage to try to contact her by email or to get a lesson or a session so they could talk about what it was she yeah, created. That's something. But that's beautiful, isn't it? That that's really beautiful. And, you know, on top of that, Mark was talking about how you played with, you know, all Ray Charles, Sinatra, Streisand. It's really the other way around. They were lucky to get you on their records because, you know, modesty aside, your beat took some ordinary songs and put them over the top. Well, 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 thank you. But it was really playing with with each other, see, because it, it's all your top players of the world there, and I was kind of lucky in that sense. But, yeah, I, I did my practice. I did. I paid my dues. I, I, I played in the burlesque houses, you know, that kind of stuff to, to, to start with. So I tell people, don't ever turn anything down because you never know what what people you're going to meet or who, who you're going to work for next, you know. And it's important. And to me, because I, I stuttered as a kid a little bit, you know, when, when I got on the instrument, I didn't stutter then, you know. So, <laughs> you know, Carol, it, it always, worked out. you're historical in, in, in some sense in, yeah. in that you were one of the first. And it always takes someone that is so good, so undeniable, that, that he or she cannot be denied in order to be invited into the club, if you will. And back then, there were female singers, there were female songwriters, female backup singers. But rock musicians, you were about it. How hard was it to be it back then? You know, it wasn't hard at all because I had three three little kids to take care of. So, yeah, I'm, <laughs> I, I'm out there like a lion getting my share. You know, but it, it was the main thing was to be happy in your music, you know. And it didn't matter if you were from the jazz or not. Most of the the players on, on the rock records were, were jazz players, but we, we loved the music. It was brand new back then. And, and the challenge was putting the right simple line on the right tune to make it pop, you know, to make, help the singer sing better. And 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 it was it, it was a lot of fun back then too. Plus the money was good too. I think it's the first time in history. I mean that the musicians made so much money in the studio work like that, and and it was good because the union took care of us too. Uh, you you didn't get your work through. I mean through the union, uh, and I didn't I didn't ever think of myself. As a woman guitar player, I mean, I was a guitar player and I was a bass player, and 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 I made sure that my my abilities were up there. I practiced. I took care of that, you know. Uh, and and you have to be professional with the men too. You can't flirt and all this kind of stuff. And you, I mean, you say one word, boy, and they're gonna jump on you, you know. So you you have to be careful there too. But at the same time, as soon as you pick up your instrument and play, and that that that. That is what it's about, you know. If, if you don't play, they don't pay, you know, that kind of thing. I hope you guys out there listening get the passion, get the excitement, get how cool this woman is, and I urge you, this is the tip of the iceberg. Seek her out. Learn more from her. Carol Kay is a legend. She's in, she's played on every record you've ever heard, all the good ones, and you can learn more about her at carolkay.com. What an amazing life. What an amazing passion she has for life, and it's a lesson we can all learn from. Thanks, Carol. Carol. Well, the East Coast girls are hip. I really dig those styles they wear. And the Southern 
Well, that is almost a wrap, but folks, remember that Growing Boulder never stops. Check out Growing Boulder TV six days a week now, nationwide on RLTV. Now, would you like some hope, inspiration, and possibility delivered to your home? All you have to do is subscribe to Growing Boulder magazine at growingboulder.com. And be sure you check us out on Facebook to discover why the Growing Boulder page is one of the most vibrant and uplifting out there. And here's your takeaway for the day, too. All of us in life are going to face some sudden and unexpected obstacles. In this show alone, we talked about financial challenges, terminal cancer, even a burn victim. And they all said this, it's not about overcoming your obstacles as much as it is about the courage and the strength that you show when you face them. So live your life to the fullest. And that's what we call Growing Boulder. Growing Boulder is a production of Boulder Broadcasting. All rights reserved. This program was recorded at Growing Boulder Studios in Orlando and is available as a weekly podcast on NPR One, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play Music, Stitcher, and TuneIn. It is written and produced by Jill Middleton, Mark Middleton, and Bill Schaefer. Executive producers are Jackie Carlin, Robert Thompson, and Emily Thompson. Technical director is Jason Morrow. Production manager is Michael Nannis. Chief audio engineer is Mac Dula. And our most important team member is you. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram to keep growing bolder every day. Crimson flames tied through my ears, flowing high and mighty trapped. Countless fires.